Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Ajnanatmarandasya, Gyananjana Shalakaya, Chakshurang Militam Yena, Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha, Vanchakalpa Tarubyas Chakripasandubyeva Chakra, Nikanam Bhavanipyo Vaishnavipyo Namo Namaha. Okay, so we are on, just have to get it here, seven, oops, ideal family, okay, so text 34, we're on, is that right? Yes. Okay. Okay, so this is um, Narada speaking to Maharaj Yudhisthira, and we've been hearing uh, um, about the Varna, about Varnashrama, and this chapter about Grihasta life, but this part is not specifically exactly only about Grihasta life, but about the related, the, the time, place, and circumstance in which to uh, perform various pious and spiritual activities. So actually, we'll, we'll start on text 30 to 33. The sacred lakes like Pushkar and places where saintly persons live, like Kurukshetra, Gaya, Prayag, uh, Palaha, Shrama, Naimasharanya, the banks of the Falgu River, Setu Banda, Prabhas, Dwaraka, Varanasi, Mathura, Pampa, Bindusarovara, Padrikashrama, the places where the Nanda River flows, the places where uh, Ramachandra and Mother Sita took shelter, such as Chitrakuta, and also the hilly tracts of land known as Mahendra and Malaya. All of these are to be considered most pious and sacred. Similarly, places outside India, we did read this uh, translation before, we didn't do the purport. Similarly, places outside India where there are centers of the Krishna consciousness movement and where Radha Krishna deities are worshipped must all be visited and worshipped by those who want to be spiritually advanced. One who intends to advance in spiritual life they visit all these places and perform ritualistic ceremonies to get results a thousand times better than the results of the same activities performed in any other place. And in the purport, Prabhupada says, the Krishna conscious movement is giving the population of the entire world a chance to take advantage of Krishna consciousness through the ISKCON centers, where one may perform deity worship and chant the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, and in this way obtain results with effectiveness uh, released a thousand times. This constitutes the best welfare activity for human society. This was Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission, and it was predicted by him in the Chaitanya Bhagavat, Prithivita Yate Nagaradi Gram, Sarvatra Pachara Haiba Moranam. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu wanted the Hare Krishna movement with installed deities to spread to every village and town in the world so that everyone in the world might take advantage of this movement and become all auspicious in spiritual life. Without spiritual life, nothing is auspicious. Mogasya moga karmana, karmano, moga jnana, vichetasaha. No one can become successful in fruitive activities or speculative knowledge without being Krishna conscious. As recommended in the Shastra, everyone should be very eagerly interested in taking part in the Krishna conscious movement and understanding the value of spiritual life. Hmm. So this is the benefit that um, is accrued by 
the simple things that Srila Prabhupada has um, introduced, deity worship and especially the chanting of the holy names. I was reading a letter recently that Prabhupada wrote to a, uh, about, he wrote about a disciple who had um, fallen away from Krishna consciousness. And Srila Prabhupada, besides saying that he's praying to Krishna that for this devotee's return, he said, I, everything is all successful because they at least once chanted the Maha Mantra. <laughs> so I was like, what a vision. Right? But it's there in the Chaitanya Charitamrita that even once uh, uh, chanting Krishna's name, one can achieve perfection. And by the way, we have Raghunandan Prabhu with us now, who's now a big, big preacher. He's preaching every week or twice a week to like over 1,200 people on one Zoom call. <laughs> wow yeah yeah he's he's all attractive <laughs> but that's by prabhu's mercy <laughs> it's a nice program though isn't it yes prabhu yeah it's a nice program and it's i don't well, i don't even know because sometimes there's seven or eight hundred people on zoom but then there's more on youtube also yeah roughly two thousand people are on the call yeah roughly two thousand people <laughs> When, when, when is it? When does it happen? Well, it's not in English. It's in Tamil. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> that lets me out. It lets me out. Well, when I, I, I sometimes present there very infrequently, and they uh, translate it into English, uh, into Tamil from English. But it's really, really nice that he has that connection. So he's doing this. Uh, uh, giving people a chance in all different places. Because there's even people in America who speak Tamil who are on those calls and things like that. But this is uh, on another, another letter I was reading some of Srila Prabhupada's letters, as you can tell. Um, another letter he was saying, um, the relationship between the spiritual master and the disciple is eternal. Um, and as long as you just follow the the basic principles, um, you know, he said, uh, chanting at least 16 rounds, following regulated principles, and trying to uh, share Krishna consciousness with others. He says, I will personally promise you I will take you back to Godhead. So, um, yeah, there, there's actually, actually, uh, it's so enlivening. Maybe I'll just uh, spend a minute reading a few of them, just because it was, uh, it was very inspiring for me, if I can find it really. You have asked if it is true that the spiritual master remains in the material universe until all his disciples are transferred to the spiritual sky. The answer is yes, that is the rule. Um, so far as I am concerned in relationship with my disciples who are so kindly cooperating with me in the matter of my rendering service to my spiritual master, for them I am always ready to come back from Goloka Vrindavan if they are not yet, if they are not delivered along with me. I thank you. I, I, I thank all of you very much for accepting me as your spiritual master, and I promise that I will take you back home, back to Godhead. You do not require to worry, as I shall never leave you. You are my disciple, and I am your spiritual master, so there is no question, as long as you follow my instructions, that I shall ever leave you. So, nice, huh? That's amazing. Yeah, it's very sweet. Now I have to get back to our verses again. Chapter 14 and 33 to, okay. May, may I make an inquiry? Yes. Thanks. Um, 
and Vanchakalpa to obeisances to everyone. Um, so it seems from the purport that um, there's a definite benefit Prabhupada is explaining about visiting the holy places. And then we also hear Prabhupada in other places say, um, just by going to one's, you know, these are my words, going to one's uh, place of worship in one's Prabhupada Desh is also, um, again, my words, just as valuable or just as mm, uh, important as, you know, visiting the holy places if you come in the right consciousness or right attitude. Um, is it just that uh, doing that is one type of benefit and, and traveling to the holy places is another type of benefit, but both mm, yield a transcendental result? Both. And in the purport, actually, Prabhupada is emphasizing the ISKCON centers around the world. Um, so, yes, we had just like here um, in Washington, D.C., we have Shishi Radha Madan Mohan, and they're Krishna himself, um, and Radharani herself. So we're so fortunate that that, that that is there. Now, that doesn't, and here it says the Krishna conscious movement giving the population of the entire world a chance to take advantage of Krishna consciousness through the ISKCON centers. And even in the, obviously, he he, add, he um, added this because it wasn't literally in the Sanskrit, where he says similarly places outside of India where there are centers of the Krishna conscious movement, because when you could say in linear time, when Narda was speaking this, there wasn't centers of Krishna, the Krishna conscious movement outside. Uh, and where Radha Krishna deities are worshipped must all be visited and worshipped by those who want to make, to want to be spiritually advanced. So yes, now that doesn't, take away from the, here's a ISKCON word, the speciality of, of the holy dons and Prabhupada also emphasizing them and therefore wanting to build first-class facilities both in Mayapur and Vrindavan. And of course, there's so many holy places, Jagannath Puri, et cetera. So both, both. So if one is visiting the temples in, in their sister cities in the West and also having some sacred space in their own home, they shouldn't feel bereft and, and they should hanker to um, be able to visit the holy places um, where Krishna actually performed his pastimes or Lord Chaitanya actually performed their pastimes. Um, they're one of the, it's one of the five potent items of devotional service. So both. Right, Andy? You went to the holy places. Was That was a enriching experience. Andy, you're muted. Yeah, it was very... Uh, I went to Lord Chaitanya's birthplace, the Neem Tree. <laughs> I went to Mathura. I went to a bunch of places. It was very... felt very good. Yeah. And Henry, you've been to India 25 times? You're muted. Yeah. He... 25 times in a 30-year period. Yeah, and it was just because you were bored? Yeah, you know, I was sick of rock concerts and luxury <laughs> hotels and uh, going to the beach. 
No, but you obviously had some spiritual experience there. Right. And Raghunandan Prabhu, I'm sure you've been a number of times to the holy places. Yes, Prabhu. Yeah. And uh, we were fortunate enough to live in one for a long time. Um, they have a special potency, especially when you go to the place where Krishna performed a pastime and then you read or recite the Leela that took place there. That has a very special potency. And Prabhupada even writes that even a non-devotee who passes through Mathura feels some separation from Krishna. So both, that, that's the answer. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a very nice, nicely worded answer. And um, I feel very um, uh, intimidated is not the right word, but uh, in, very inexperienced compared to most of the devotees on this call as far as visiting the holy places. I have, I but very rarely. I don't think anybody should feel bad if they don't have the wherewithal to do it. However, if you do have the time and the money, then it's, it's you know, you've heard the, what's said, so you probably should take advantage of it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. What, better, what better place to go? Yes, and Prabhupada therefore wanted to make facilities that were not too austere. He wanted his Western disciples to, uh, to have facilities. So at that time, when he built the guest house, in Vrindavan, it was the, you know, it was the Taj Mahal, it was the um, Ritz-Carlton of, uh, of places to stay in Vrindavan. Now, you know, there's other places that are more opulent, but at that time, it was, I would assume, Henry, when you first were going to Vrindavan, you stayed at the Krishna Balaram guest house. Yes, indeed, I did, and um, it seemed a little austere, but the whole thing was so exciting. You know, it was like visiting, it was 1983, and it was like visiting a medieval village. And, and I mean, yeah, there was, uh, it, was, it was so exciting that I wasn't feeling separation from luxury. I was just enjoying, I, I, I don't really know what, it was so wonderful. I couldn't stop going back. I just couldn't stop. And you said something earlier about passing through a holy place. So actually in 1978, I, I was on as passing through as a tourist, literally, I was on a bus and I went from Delhi to the Taj Mahal and I didn't know anything about Krishna at that time. But yet I knew that was something special, you know, and somehow in my journal, I wrote that that bus ride from Delhi to the Taj Mahal was one of the most special experiences of my life. Yeah, it's a good point. So many tourists all over the world go to see the Taj Mahal. They all have to, you know, go through the Holy Dom. To get there. <laughs> it's true. All right, let us continue. Um, o King of the Earth, it has been decided by expert learned scholars that only the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna, in whom all that is moving or non-moving within the universe is resting, and from everything is and from whom everything is coming, is the best person to whom everything must be given. And Prabhupada just writes, now to whom everything must be given is decided in this verse. <laughs> Text 35. O King Yudhisthira, the demigods, many great sages and saints, including even the four sons of Lord Brahma, and I myself were present at your Rajasuya sacrificial, sacrificial ceremony. But when there was a question of who should be the first person worshipped, everyone decided upon Lord Krishna, the supreme person. Text 36. 
The entire universe, which is full of living entities, is like a tree whose root is the Supreme Personality of God at Atuta. Therefore, simply by worshiping Lord Krishna, one can worship all living entities. The Supreme Personality of God has created many residential places like the bodies of human beings, animals, birds, saints, and demigods. In all of these innumerable bodily forms, the Lord resides with a living being as Paramatma. Thus, he is known as the Purusha Avatar. The purport Prabhupada writes that the living entity who is part and parcel of the Supreme Personality of Godhead exists on the mercy of the Lord, who is always with him in any form of body. The living entity desires a particular type of material enjoyment, and thus the Lord supplies him with the body, which is like a machine. Just to keep him, al keep him alive in that body, the Lord remains with him as the Purusha Kshiro Dakshayi Vishnu. So, you know, if we never read anything else that Prabhupada wrote, and we just read these three sentences, um, it would be an interesting conclusion. The living entity, who is part and parcel of, of God, exists on the mercy of the Lord, who is always with him in any form of body. Even that much, you don't have to read the rest, just that one sentence. Uh, I would suggest that it would evoke a sense of gratitude. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about gratitude today because I'm giving a talk on that topic at the temple. Um, but but it also this, this sentence, right? It, it, it doesn't, it, you know, the living entity, we're part of God, we exist on his mercy, um, and we're always with him. Uh, he's and he always is with us in any form of body that we take. And that if we have then the next verse is if we have a desire for material enjoyment, he he even supplies us the body to uh and he keeps it alive <laughs> as in this form of Shiro Dakshai Vishnu. So what a um <laughs> what an amazing so one one thing that I was reading that I, I was also thinking about. Prabhupada compare. I, I, I had never read this before, and I thought it was fantastic. Have you ever, um, has everyone here at least at some point in time seen a soccer match, a you know, what they call in Europe a football match, right? I'm sure it would, even if you're not a fan, you've seen it. Yeah, so yeah. if you imagine, forget the football match, but just, just focus on the ball. And imagine that the living entity is like the ball in a soccer match. Okay, he gets kicked here, he gets kicked there, the ball goes out of bounds, someone has to throw it back inbounds, every now and then it goes in the net, but it's just being kicked. And you know, sometimes on this end of the field, sometimes it's on that end of the field, right? That's, <laughs> that's what a ball does, right? So Prabhupada says, this is my position, nowhere, I do not know. Just like I am being kicked like a football, I have no place. Have you seen football playing? The football has no place. As soon as it comes somebody's feet, he kicks. He goes to another body, he kicks. He's in another body kicking. His only situation is being kicked football. So we are just like football. We are being kicked up. Now I am American. Next time I shall be kicked up to China, maybe. And from China, India. And from India, Burma. Uh, and then another place. This is going on. We do not know how we are being kicked like a football, 
from one place to another, one place to another. And then he says, therefore, this is the, uh, this is the only way Krishna consciousness to become perfect. And then he goes on to talk about that. So, so if we actually, you know, we're more cognizant of how in different births we're just being kicked around like a football. <laughs> um, it's one way to increase our gratitude for what Srila Prabhupada has given us, what Krishna has arranged for us to, to have the opportunity to um, get out of the football game, right? Um, and anyway, the, you know, uh, some of the things that I was reading earlier about um, gratitude are also there. Marj Frikshit, he, he, he expressed gratitude. He, um, he said, we are most grateful to, he was talking to uh, Sukadeva Goswami, uh, uh, grateful of all the kings who are trained to get favors from great souls. Generally, you sages consider royalty as refuge to be rejected and left in a distant place. But he was saying, but you're so kind, you are giving me your, your darshan. So um, gratitude is, also I think if we, if you're ever feeling a little down, um, angry, depressed, upset, just sit down for a few minutes and think about three, four, five things that you're grateful for. It's very, very hard to remain in that previous consciousness. It's, it's such a powerful uh, thing. Such a powerful. So let me see if there's anything else I want to say on this purport. Mm -hmm. No. Any questions, comments, thoughts on this? I, I, I found this verse very interesting that it gives a very, very simple perspective about what it means to be a Purusha Avatar. This verse? Yeah, because this verse 37, he says, thus he is known as the Purusha Avatara, and Prabhupada also adds to that, just to keep him alive in that body, the Lord remains with him as the Purusha, within brackets, he says, Shirodhakasai Vishnu. Yes, nice. Yeah, yes, I, had, I hadn't thought of it in that way, but that's very helpful, good. Thank you. Other thoughts? Um. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. This brings in the, the whole question of existence. And the uh, we are all creatures. We're creatures of the earth, at least our bodies, right? Okay. Created out of earth some way. Uh, science, well, it doesn't matter, right? We're coming out of the earth as creatures, but we're created. But if we have eternal souls, even God can't create an eternal soul. Because it doesn't work, right? If it's eternal, it was never created. So it has to be part of God. Uh, so that, I mean, if you believe that at all, then the eternal part of us is actually has to be part of God, right? Just like he is eternal. He can't create eternal things. That's a creation, right? So this kind of pulls that idea, you know, out for me. Right. We have to be part of God. Yes. And part and parcel. That's the key phrase. Um, it's, and, and how is part and parcel understood? It's achintya. It's inconceivable. And also, we, we can get into the whole thing. Yes, uh, we are Satchitananda, Krishna Satchitananda. Um, 
And there's other verses that say in the beginning there was only Narayan. Right? But but I, I, your point is still well taken. Well, there's still only really Narayan, right? Because all this material world is just a, a flash in the pan. Well, it's, and it's also created by him. Right. That's a creation, though. Just as God can't create himself, right? Because he's <laughs> eternal, right? Anything is eternal it was not created. So that's the mystery. I'm not saying I know it, but it just brings it to the front. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Some people will say anadi, uh, the Sanskrit word anadi, is that there is a beginning, but no end. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure 100% I'd buy that. No, I'm just, I'm just saying so. Well, but Andy, that's what you seem to be saying. You seem to be saying there's no creation in the sense of the living entity. But as uh, uh, Rajvi Hari was just describing, uh, a, a beginning but no end. That's how the scriptures describe us it's living beings coming into existence. It's one description, and this this would you know this is actually quite a technical discussion that we could have at a later date. Yeah. I want to. I would want to do some research though, and yeah. not just throw out the term anadi in this next verse. Because it's it's it, it's uh, it takes some some study. Whenever you say creating eternal, that's like a snake eating its tail; it never <laughs> ends. <laughs> but the but the point, but the but I definitely the main point is we are you are absolutely right. We are part of God, and we are parcel. Yeah, and that's and and therefore and 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 so the essence of what you're saying is what does the part. What is the relationship of the part to the whole? And that's one of seva and love and gratitude. Other, I got that part and parcel. I've still, I mean, for decades, I've been trying to figure out exact. I mean, the word parcel doesn't mean anything to me. I don't. I, and you say it's a chinta beta beta of time. I still don't get that part. What what that means? And so it, parcel means separate from, and part means one with. So it's not like you know the uh, Amazon parcels that you get, um, uh, not exactly like that. Because <laughs> Prabhupada quote, quoted this before, used the word parcel before Amazon existed. <laughs> but uh, but that's the idea. Part and parcel means one, inconceivably simultaneously one with and separate from God. That's one of a number of ways you can apply it to beta a beta tapa. Um, so, but, you know, some, uh, what I like to do sometimes, you know, especially if we're not going to dive deeply into the subject is go to the ultimate conclusion and the ultimate conclusion of understanding your part and parcel of God is that you have a relationship with God. And then the question is, what is that relationship? And it's, it's one of love and it's expressed in different ways. Um, and it's one of service, loving service. Bhakti. So that's so you know I, I kind of cut past the the, the Sanskrit uh, and philosophical uh, nuances, which are many and which are important, and went right to you know to the point. Okay. So we're going up to verse thirty-nine, I believe. Yes, thirty-eight. 
O King Yudhisthira, the super soul in every body gives intelligence to the individual soul according to his capacity for understanding. Therefore, the super soul is the chief within the body. The super soul is manifested to the individual soul according to the individual's comparative development of knowledge, austerity, penance, and so on. My dear King, when great sages and saintly persons saw mutually disrespectful dealings at the beginning of Treta Yuga, deity worship in the temple was introduced with all paraphernalia. And Prabhupada writes, formally, all activities, the second paragraph, formally all activities were performed in connection with Vishnu. But after Satya Yuga, there were symptoms of disrespectful dealings amongst Vaishnavas. And I'm sure none of us have ever seen that, but it Prabhupada says it's there. Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur has said that a Vaishnava is he who has helped others become Vaishnavas. An example of one who has converted many others to Vaishnavas is Narada Muni, a powerful Vaishnava who has converted others into Vaishnavas is to be worshipped, but because of material contamination, sometimes such an exalted Vaishnava is disrespected by other minor Vaishnavas. When great saintly persons saw this contamination, they introduced deity worship to the temp in the temple. Now, why is that? Well, let's read on. Um, in the next paragraph, it says, a prakrita devotee, which means uh, neophyte, literally material, um, or a neophyte devotee, is still on the material platform. He certainly engages in worshiping the deity, but he cannot appreciate the activities of a pure devotee. That's one of the definitions of a, of a kanishtha. And then, but then a little later, for those who cannot properly appreciate the activities of authorized devotees, deity worship is the only way for spiritual advancement. So ideally, one um, appreciates the activities of pure devotees and doesn't offend them and therefore makes rapid advancement by getting their blessings and by not upsetting Krishna. If you're going to, if someone's going to start finding fault and this, that, maybe it's better, okay, just do your deity worship <laughs> and, and focus on that and, and make advancement. We're fortunate because Prabhupada has made it very easy to appreciate a great devotee just by his life, <laughs> his, his, his life history, his everything. So it's easier for us. Um, but this is also indirectly indicating that we want to be so careful about offending devotees. Question. Yes. Is a can we think of a kanishta as being like a child in the sense that you know, uh, whatever a child does, the parent is not offended. So the Kanishta, because of his lack of advancement, he may offend devotees right and left, but is it seen in the same way by the Lord that since this devotee is so unadvanced or so uh, he still has so much more advancement to go, is it that those offenses don't count or they count, you know, very minimally? Is, is, am I even phrasing this question right, I'm wondering? Um, well, Krishna does, he know, you know, he, he's in our hearts and he 
understands the struggles of a um, new devotee, you know, the challenges of uh, every, everyone, you know, of, uh, mm, like that. But I was just trying to find uh, some quotes from Prabhupada about, anyway, I was just reading other quotes from him about how um, the spiritual master is so eager to forgive the disciple. Well, we know that that the spiritual master uh, only sees the good that the disciple does, or right. takes takes the essence of their uh, service. Yeah, and Krishna does that also. But I'm not sure. It's a really interesting question. I've never read anything that well. Krishna overlooks the uh, the what we really want is to help devotees who are neophytes to rise to the majjhima level where they see four things where they uh, experience four things they, they or they do four things they worship the lord they make friends with the devotees they give uh com compassion to the innocent and they avoid the envious so um so we so i think the better question would be how to help people who are in neophyte consciousness as quickly as possible rise to a higher level so that they don't commit these offenses rather oh. than say, well, you guys are off the hook. Well, right. But part of the reason someone, it, it, it could be argued, I guess, part of the reason why someone is, is still considered a neophyte even after many years or something is because they make all kinds of, offenses that you know if they were made to suffer the full weight of those offenses would be you know horrible but since they're devotees and they're um they're trying um those yeah i'm struggling here those offenses are minimized or they're you know they're discounted or I've never, I haven't read anything except that we should, that Kanishta should rise to the Madhyama level as soon as practical so that they don't commit those offenses. <laughs> How Krishna deals with them, that's, you know, uh, that's a, above my pay grade. But, uh, but, but the, that it's a, it's a problem if we, and Prabhupada, and Prabhupada does write about this and we know he's kind of indirectly talking about himself when you know and sometimes he'll say things you know how you know neophyte people misunderstand the actions of the empowered devotee and even hints at it is in this purport um no i think it was in 30 which one was it no it wasn't 33 we read that i thought it was in one of the verses no maybe it's coming up then um but anyway he 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 um hints at it. no maybe it's here yeah no it's yeah, um, in the in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, it is said, Krishna Shakti Vinanahit, this is the same purport, the end 39. Tara Parvartana, without being authorized by Krishna, one cannot preach the holy name of the Lord throughout the world. Nonetheless, a devotee who does so is criticized by neophyte devotees. So I think we, he's talking about some of his previous associates, Kanishta Adhikaris, who are on the lower level lower stages of devotional service. For them, deity worship is strongly recommended. And again, in the, above that, he said, it has actually been seen that even an authorized devotee who is engaged in the service of the Lord 
by preaching the mission of Krishna consciousness is sometimes criticized by neophyte devotees. So we, that's not good. <laughs> Krishna gets, you know, we, we know how Krishna um, is, is upset with people that offend his, the people dear to him. So. But if, so a neophyte, if, if a neophyte is sincere, they won't offend the devotees. Well, right, but they may not real like let's let's imagine. I I of course agree with uh, Prabhupada's viewpoint and assessment that that those who criticize the the world preacher are uh, neophytes. But if a neophyte, if he knew that that was you know, a great offense, would he, you know, would he go and commit it anyway, or, you know, just out of, out of spite or out of envy? I hope not, not if he hears it in a Bhagavatam class, he should follow the instructions. It's, yeah. it's a big problem to, to offend devotees. Other thoughts? Okay, let's go on to 42. 40. Sometimes a neophyte devotee offers all the paraphernalia for worshiping the Lord, and he factually worships the Lord as the deity. But because he is envious of the authorized devotees of Lord Vishnu, the Lord is never satisfied with his devotional service. Well, there's your answer. <laughs> never satisfied. And therefore, Prabhupada again warns us, one at the end of this paragraph, uh, of, yeah, one who worships the deity must therefore be extremely respectful to preachers. Otherwise, simply worshiping the deity will keep one on the lower stage of devotion. So that's, Robert answered your question. Uh, my dear King, of all persons, a qualified Brahmana must be accepted as the best within the material, this material world, because such a Brahmana, by practicing austerity, Vedic studies, and, sac and satisfaction, becomes the counterpart body of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And actually, this was the verse I wanted to ask you to read. It was a mistake on my part. Prabhupada writes, a Vaishnava is superior to a Brahmana because whereas a Brahmana knows that he is Brahman, not matter, a Vaishnava knows that he is not only Brahman, but also an eternal servant of the Supreme Brahman. That's one of the, that sentence is one of the best definitions of the difference between Brahmana and Vaishnava that I've ever read. Right. Now, if someone is a Vaishnava Brahmana, that's that's different, right? Therefore, worship of a Vaishnava is superior to worship of the deity in the temple. Vishwanath Shakravarti Thakur says, Shakshad Dharitvena Samasta Shastreya. In all the scriptures, the spiritual master who is the best of the Brahmanas, the best of the Vaishnavas, is considered to be as good as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. This does not mean, however, <laughs> that the Vaishnava thinks himself God, for this is blasphemous. Although a Brahmana or Vaishnava is worshipped as being as good as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, such a devotee always remains a faithful servant of the Lord and never tries to enjoy the prestige that might accrue to him for being the Supreme Lord's representative. So there, there's so much there. Uh, you know, a, a, a Brahmana um, is, you know, Samadhamas, Tapasocham, the different descriptions in the, uh, in the Bhagavad Gita, clean, uh, control the mind, control the senses. Uh, tolerant, et cetera, et cetera. But it depends on what is that Brahmana's meditation. And if they're meditating on Krishna, then they're uh, a Vaishnava Brahmana. 
<clears throat> and then all these, what, what it says in the rest of this purport kind of applies to them. And they, um, they're worshipable because they're worshiping Krishna and they can give us Krishna. And, but even then, as being worshipable, they should be careful. We should be careful that you may get some prestige, you may get some respect. Like, uh, <laughs> like our dear Raghunandan preaching to 2,000 people now. Uh, and all those people are super respectful, right? They call you Guruji and this and that, right? <laughs> but, um, but it says here, always, always remain faithful servant of the Lord and never tries to enjoy the prestige that might accrue from being uh, to him from being the Supreme Lord's representative. So the devotee um, always remains in the mood of being a servant, or let's say even more accurately, a servant of the servant of the servant. And in that way um, is safe. The safest position is to be one of uh, a servant of Krishna. Some thoughts on this verse? One thing that I have found to be very helpful is passing on the compliments to the Guru Parampara. Belongs to them. I'm just doing my service there and it helps me remain grounded. Nice. Otherwise, it's, it's, yeah, as you said, like it's very, it's very easy to get carried away by all those uh, praises and glorifications. And it's, it's it's not for me. It's for my guru and the guru parampara and Krishna. Let the they are entitled to that. Yeah, nice, nice. And and Prabhupada set that example. He he passed things on to his guru Maharaj. Yeah, that's providing a very good example for the people in your class, also. Yeah. Other thoughts? Okay, then the last verse, I believe, in this uh, chapter. My dear King Yudhisthira, the Brahmanas, especially those engaged in preaching the glories of the Lord throughout the entire world, are recognized and worshipped by the Supreme Personality of God, who is the heart and soul of all creation. The Brahmanas, by their preaching, sanctify the three worlds with the dust of their lotus feet, and thus they are worshipable even for Krishna. <laughs> Look at that, Krishna's relation. And Prabhupada writes this beautiful um, two sentences. The relationship is reciprocal. The Brahmanas want to worship Krishna, and similarly, Krishna wants to worship the Brahmanas. Any good examples come to your mind of Krishna worshiping the Brahmanas? Sudama Brahmana being worshipped. No. Yeah. Yeah, that's Shruta, Shruta Dev. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and in terms of service, you know, we, we sometimes think of service different than Ramana, you know, but he was, he was part to Sarati, right? And in so many ways, um, um, serving different devotees, supplying Sari to Draupadi and um, saving Arjuna from his vow that, you know, it's either him or Jayadratha. Right. And, and then he, when he came as Lord Rama, he when he went into the forest, he promised the sages that he will protect them from the demons. Right. So he was he wanted to serve them because they are doing a wonderful service themselves. So he wanted to serve them in return. Nice, nice. And he always offers 
Narada, full worship when Narada visits him. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Great respect for Narada Muni. And we're talking about Narada Muni. Narada Muni is talking right now in our Bhagavatam. Okay, so thus end the Bhaktivedanta purports of the seventh canto, 14th chapter of Srimad Bhagavatam, entitled Ideal Family Life. Now, instructions for civilized human beings. And we're going up to verse two. Narada Muni continued. My dear king, some brahmanas are very much attached to fruitive activities. Some are attached to austerities and penances. And some, and still others study the Vedic literature, whereas some, although very few, cultivate knowledge and practice different yogas, especially bhakti yoga. A person desiring liberation for his forefathers or himself should give charity to a brahmana who adheres to the impersonal monism, jnana nishta. In the absence of such an advanced brahmana, charity may be given to a brahmana addicted to fruitive activities, karma kanda. Hmm. So Prabhupada writes that there are two processes by which to get free from material bondage. One involves jnana kanda, kanda and karma kanda, and the other involves upasana kanda. Vaishnavas never want to merge into the existence of the Supreme. Rather, they want to be everlastingly, there's a servants of the Lord, to render loving service unto him. In this verse, the words anantyam ichita refer to persons who desire to achieve liberation from a chill bondage and merge into the existence of the Lord. Devotees, however, whose objective is to associate personally with the Lord, have no desire to accept the activities of karmakanda or jnanakanda, for pure devotional service is above both karmakanda and jnanakanda. Anya bila sita shunyam jnanakarmad enavritam. In pure devotional service, there is not even a pinch of jnana or karma. Did you hear that? In pure devotional service, not even a pinch, meaning of desire for impersonal liberation or enjoying in this world, not even a pinch. Consequently, when Vaishnavas distribute charity, they do not need to find a Brahmana performing the activities of Jnana and Karmakanda. So Prabhupada is giving us context in this verse. The best example in this regard is provided by Advaita Goswami, or we say Advaita Acharya, who after performing the Shraddha ceremony for his father, offered charity to Haridhasa Thakra. Although he, it was under, it was known to everyone that Haridas Thakur was born in a Muhammadan family, not a Brahmin family, and was not interested in the activities of Karmakanda or Jnanakanda. So, um, Prabhupada's laying out the the philosophy and then giving a, a practical example that that of all the people they, they gave it to Haridas Thakur the, the the first charity and then. Um, and then, well, I guess we can just, this purport so helpful. So in the next verse, uh, it's the next, it says, clearly our charity therefore should be given to the first class transcendentalist, the devotee, because the Shastras recommend, O great sage among many millions who are liberated and perfect in knowledge of liberation, one may be a devotee of Lord Narayana or Krishna. Such devotees who are fully peaceful are extremely rare. A Vaishnava is, a high, is in a higher position than a Gani. And therefore, Advaita Acharya selected Haridas Thakur to be the person to accept his charity. Supreme Lord also says, um, quote, even 
though a person is very learned scholar in the Sanskrit Vedic literatures, he is not accepted as my devotee unless he is pure in devotional service. However, even though a person is born in a family of dog eaters, he is very dear to me if he is a pure devotee who has no motive to enjoy fruitive activity or mental speculation. Indeed, all respect should be given to him and whatever he offers should be accepted. Such devotees are as worshipable as I am. Did you hear that? As worshipable as I am. So, so therefore, therefore, even if not born in a Brahmin family, a devotee because of his devotion to the Lord is above all kinds of Brahmanas, whereas where, whether they be karma kandis or jnana kandis. Uh, so then Prabhupada goes on. <laughs> this is not so true today, but a little bit. In this regard, it may be mentioned that Brahmanas in Vrindavan who are karma kandis or jnana kandis sometimes decline to accept invitations to our temple because our temple is known as an Angareji, which they used to say Angresi uh, temple. It's still called that, or Anglican temple. But in accordance with the evidence given in the Shastra and the example set by Advaita Acharya, we give prasad to devotees regardless of whether they come from India, Europe, or America. It is the conclusion of the Shastra that instead of feeding many Gani Kandis or Karma Kandi Brahmanas, it's better to feed a pure Vaishnava. So I think it's pretty clear what Prabhupada is getting at, and he's you know, clarifying the, the statement in the, in the translation and putting it in context of, of the entire, you know, Bhagavatam. So this is, it's not so, in one sense, you could say it's not so much to put down uh, karma and gan. It is to do that, but it's also to glorify bhakti and to glorify the power of bhakti and the um, the special nature of one who's practicing it in its pure form, the empowered nature of that. So, some some thoughts on this, and it's and it's good timing. Um, and this isn't a universal point by any stretch of the imagination, but I find in India, um, whether it's the media or whether it's um, yeah, the media or just people, they're, they're becoming less respectful to, you know, the, uh, Brahmanas in general um, and seeing it, there's, there's at least some people who kind of see the whole thing as hocus pocus, the karmakanda organic, uh, karmakanda kind of activities. And so it's a, it's a um, opportunity to introduce people like that before they, you know, just say, well, Hinduism stinks or whatever, or it's just hope, you know, to uh, what real um, spiritual practices are like. It's kind of like, uh, I've seen this a number of times with our, um, over the years, with devo <coughs> people, devotees from India who become devotees in America and their children. Sometimes their children will watch their grandparents who are living in the same house you know, worshiping Ganesh or, you know, doing this. And they just think it's kind of sentimental. It, it looks kind of strange to me. It, I can't relate to it. And if they get a chance to actually talk to devotees and, and see that there's a whole philosophical basis behind all of this and, and that, that makes sense, it, it, you know, if you kind of catch them in time before they just go, you know, um, 
and want to emerge into American culture, it's, it can be quite a realization. They can actually appreciate their grandparents a little bit more and, and realize, well, okay, maybe they don't have such a philosophical understanding, but they're pious. And then they see, wow, there's so much of a philosophy behind this. You, you were agreeing, Raghun, on number one? Yes, Prabhu. Um, I was also thinking in terms of like how deep-rooted the uh, bodily designations are even when practicing and taking up bhakti uh, that Prabhupada has to write about this in his purport just to help us stay clear of it. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. And he's following in Rupa Goswami's footsteps, uh, Anyabi Lashita Sunyam, Jnana, Karma, Anabritam. It should not be covered by Jnana and Karma. And so for those of us who grew up not in India or, you know, um, there's still the, okay, we don't have Jnana, we don't have Karma Kandi Brahmanas, you know, who are, doing different, you know, sacrifices or, or, you know, pujas or havans so that your child can get into a good school or whatever. But we have, there's some equivalent to doing religious activities to gain material piety or material uh, advancement. Okay. So the mentality is not, not foreign. And there's also, of course, impersonal um, uh, tendencies and certainly there's Western philosophies and even Christian philosophers who uh, have this Gana influ Gan influence. So it's, it's, it's all pervasive. It's not just that, oh no, I, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't follow Karma Kanda because I would never, you know, hire a person with a, you know, a heavy set person with a big T lock to offer some kind of haban with all these Sanskrit notes. But you may do the same thing when you, uh, you donate to your church and say, oh, my dear Lord, please let my, uh, you know, whatever, get that new car, whatever. Other thoughts? And that's one of the beauties. And I mean, that's what we try to do in this class a lot of times is take something that's, you know, was written thousands of years ago and show, and Prabhupada does this, of course, in his purpose, we learn from him, try to make it relevant to our day-to-day -day life in our day-to-day -day practices. Hmm. I think I would say to the young or inexperienced person, regardless of what you, how it appears to you, what your parents are worshiping, you either have an examined life or you don't. So you, once you understand the philosophical decision these people have made, then you can say, okay, I'm making my own decision. Or you can just not examine your life at all and then you're missing out on that knowing what the what the actual decision is. Mm. Nice. Thank you, Andy. Yeah, now that doesn't always translate into what happens, but yeah. <laughs> like Anani is going to merge into the Lord, right? That's not invalid, right? But then he, in my conception, kind of loses his personal consciousness, right? Whereas someone who wants to be eternal, so he becomes very great because he becomes part of the Lord. But someone who wants to be an eternal servant is never great because he's always a lowly servant for eternity, except in the eyes of the Lord who looks at him and knows that he's great. But he can't think he's great forever, right? But the, he knows that 
because of that decision, he knows he believes the Lord will look at him as great. No one else is allowed to really. <laughs> well, it doesn't care what others yeah, think in one sense in this world. But you're really into this eternal concept today, I can see. Uh, but that's good. Um, yes, for a, a devotee, um, what is that, Narakayate? What is that, Raghunandan? Kaivalyam Narakayate. Kaivalyam Narakayate. That a devotee if, um, just thinks impersonal liberation is just hellish because there's no service, there's no, there's no rasa, there's no higher taste, there's no relationship. There's no love. Um, and so in some places, Prabhupada will say, even, even go as far as to say that um, better be a sense gratifier than a mayavadi, you know, or a person who rejects Krishna um, and doesn't accept that Krishna is such ananda. I don't think mayavadi is bad. It's just that for people that have chosen this philosophical choice of service, it will not work. It's poison. So we can't think Mayavadi and think the way we want to think too. It well, the, the, the challenge, it depends on the Mayavadi uh, or, or the, you know, the impersonals. We throw those terms around. But when Lord Chaitanya is saying Mayavadi uh, Krishna Aparadhe, if, if the, that's why I chose my words carefully a few minutes ago. If the Mayavadi, if the spirit soul is, is rejecting Krishna, saying, well, he's actually, you know, he's because because the ultimate one version of Mayavad philosophy is saying God is deaf, God is dumb, God has no relation. I have all these things and God has none of those things. And that's that's offensive. It's different than a uh, person who and it's hard to believe that there are such people, but a person who accepts that Krishna's body is eternal, etc., but is more attracted to the impersonal but is not offensive to Krishna. That's, well, Buddhists that's, are like that. Buddhists what's that? Are like, Buddhists are like that. They have no qualm with Krishna, but they like the idea of uh, the drop of water returning to the ocean. That's what they want for their soul. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I guess it would depend on the... the uh, we'd have to look at that. You know, we even say in Prabhupada's Pranam mantras, right, uh, Namaste Sarasati Devi Gauravana Kacharya Nirishesha Shunyavadi. That he's trying, <clears throat> he's giving the world the opportunity <clears throat> to go beyond the, uh, the, I think it's the Shunyavadi is Buddhist, is Buddhist and the Nirishesha is Mayavad. Is that right? Yes, Prabhu. Yeah. yeah. Are you an expert on Mayavad philosophy coming from South India, Raghunanabhu? I have heard a lot, and uh, every time I hear it, it gives me nightmares, even when I was growing up. <laughs> because I couldn't comprehend or uh, digest that fact that you know, nothingness or uh, impersonal, I, 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 I couldn't relate with that. Uh, I, it, it, it rippled me always, thankfully. Interesting. So I'm not an expert on, on now Buddhists would, are basically atheists, right, Andy? They don't believe in God. Yeah, they don't think the idea of God is necessary. Right, yeah. right. And so, so yeah, I, I, I mean, in that sense, is that an offense to God to not believe in him? I, you know, I, again, I'm not going to judge. It's not my job to judge people. I, it is my job to say that if, for someone who's trying to develop their love for Krishna, 
it's not um, a favorable uh, <laughs> mindset, right? Um, yeah, it's interesting also in different places, you know, because it's not just a Buddhist. There's just like there's no such thing as a Hindu. There's there's so many different ways of practicing. And there are, in my travels around the world, there are places of Buddhism that practically are personal in nature and have Murti's statues of Buddha. And, and you know, there's a very, yeah, kind of so. Yeah. Um, but I don't claim to be an expert on, uh, on Buddhism. Nor do I, but they, they're big on the thing saying anybody could be a Buddha. A Buddha could be walking by you at any time. But yeah. then there is the Buddha, which is worshipped very faithfully. So there's kind of that, uh, you know. Yeah, it's a little tricky. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do know this Buddhist monk who chants 16 rounds a day, Hare Krishna Mahamantra. Uh, uh, say they have nothing against it. They say, yeah. I, I can do that devotion. I have nothing against it. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like often the Mormons that I speak to. You know, Mormons are not like um, other evangelicals who will like, you know, tell you tell devotees they're all going to hell. But uh, I've had that happen to me many times over the years. You know, um, I remember actually, yeah. Yeah, I remember one time in Denver, I was at Rathiatra. And this couple came up to me and um, just told me, there's no hope for me, unless I accept you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, the whole, the whole um, practice of interfaith is, is a very interesting, because um, there's one interfaith is, look, I'm right, you're wrong, so, you know, no interfaith. <laughs> Right. Another one is, uh, oh, you know, is just like kind of putting a syrupy smile on everybody's face and say, oh, isn't that so nice? Isn't that so nice? Um, I think the third kind of interfaith, which is what I know devotees like Anutama Prabhu and Shonaka Rishipu and others try to strive for is, is no, let's, we have respect for others, but let's talk about our similarities. Let's talk about our differences. Let, let's have, you know, I'm not trying to convert you, but I am trying to understand you. And I might even tell you that, well, no, we see things differently. And then, and then explain how we see things uh, differently than them. Right. So uh, I've been watching a little, just, just a little bit on YouTube. This um, he's a young man um, and he's, uh, he's a Catholic and I think he's a Franciscan. And it's very, I, I was saying it's very well done. It just does these short three, four, five minute videos that I was saying, gosh, we should do something like that about any misconceptions that people have about Catholicism, uh, you know, everything about their, what was this Vatican II and what is the Protestant and, and, and things like that. And I, and I could see that there, you know, when Prabhupada would say Jesus was, is our guru, Right. He 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 that's what he understood that he as far as I can understand that he he was a spirit soul, um, according to our you know, trying to take that that person, Jesus, and place them into our context. Um, but just like just like we just read, the spiritual master is honored on the same level as God, although he's not God. That would probably that would probably be our best guess understanding of uh 
how to fit the person Jesus into our understanding of uh, of of the world, so to speak. But you know, a Catholic wouldn't accept that. You know, they they have this almost a chincha beta beta tattva that he's the son of God and he's God. You know, or he's you know on that. Yeah, it, it was. It, I, as I was listening to, him, I was trying to think how would this all um, fit in. But you know, you can have like, should you just say, "Oh, that's so nice, that's so nice," or should you say, "Well, that's really interesting." How we might look at it is like this, you know, and have a real discussion. But um, that also takes some maturity in Krishna consciousness to uh, have that kind of discussion. Well, we have many demigods, but. The only difference is they don't want Demi for Jesus. They say, no, delete the Demi. But it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. We, we say there are gods, right, that aren't Krishna, right? We that say that demi. there are demigods, yes. And yeah, we but, say- but we use that word Demi to make the whole thing work. But they don't like the Demi part. That's the only difference. Well, um, that's, that's part of it. Yeah, and, and it varies. Shakti Avesh. Shakti Avesh. Shakti Avesh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Shakti, are you familiar with that term, Andy? Shakti Avesh? One who um, is, it's one of the kinds of incarnations of Krishna, but it's a, it's a jiva, like you and me, but they have, uh, they have been given a specific uh, Shakti uh, of the Lord. I think Prithumaraj is one? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, ruling, uh, ruling potency. Who else? Uh, Narada Muni, the Bhakti potency, Kumaras, the knowledge potency. So, um, you know, and some people have uh, ventured to place Srila Prabhupada in that category. I don't know um, if, I don't think that is a uh, 100% accepted. Yes, you must think like that if you're an Iskand devotee. And I don't know what Prabhupada would say about it, but that's certainly. I don't think he would accept um, well, of course, as long as you don't say he's God, but he would always say, no, I'm just a humble servant of Srila Bhakti. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we just learned that God worships Vaishnavas, right? Right. So that makes everything work. I mean, but if if the that Vaishnava worships himself, then it's all ruined. <laughs> One person could ruin it. So you're right, I am God. Then it's, right. then it's done for. It's well, always- look at it in that sense, yes. You don't see Narada Muni looking in a mirror and offering our tea. <laughs> To himself, right? <laughs> now, Krishna, Krishna, only Krishna can do that. But uh, Shaktya, my point of the Shakya Avesh uh, avatars are interesting because they are jivas who uh, have been given a specific Shakti. So the the reasoning is that Prabhupada had the preaching Shakti, which is obviously clear. You know, there's no there's no doubt about what what he did. But but right. Prabhupada was only doing one thing. He was serving his guru because he was told to do that. That's really all he was doing. Yeah, and so was Narada Muni, I would say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Let's move on. I, I wanted to cover one more verse today, at least. That was um, number six. Um, okay. During the period uh, for offering oblations to the demigods, one should invite only two brahmanas. While offering oblations to the forefathers, one may invite three brahmanas. Or in either case, only one brahmana will suffice. Even though one is very opulent, he should not endeavor to invite more brahmanas or make various expensive arrangements on those occasions. Interesting. 
is about the Shraddha uh, ceremony. If one arranges to feed many Brahmanas or relatives during the Shraddha ceremony, there will be discrepancies in the time, place, respectability, and ingredients, the person to be worshipped, and the methods of offering worship. When one gets the opportunity of a suitable, auspicious time and place, one should with love offer food prepared with ghee to the deity of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and then offer the prasad to a suitable person, a Vaishnava or Brahman. This will be the cause of everlasting prosperity. One should offer prasad to the demigods, the saintly persons, one's forefathers, the people in general, one's family members, one's relatives, and one's friends, seeing them all as devotees of the Supreme Personality of God, Prabhupada writes. As mentioned above, it is recommended that everyone distribute prasad, considering every living being a part and parcel of the Supreme Lord. Even in feeding the poor, one should distribute prasad. So that's a very important point, right? We don't just feed the poor, we feed them prasadam. In Kali Yuga, there is a scarcity of food almost every year, and thus philanthropists spend lavishly to feed the poor. For this, they invent the term Dravidya Narayana Seva. This is prohibited. One should distribute sumptuous prasad, considering everyone a part of the Supreme Lord, but one should not juggle words to make a poor man Narayan. So there's a few points here. Um, in distributing prasadam, Prabhupada did not, as far as I'm clearly understood from other devotees, did not make distinctions between the, in other words, he thought the rich needed prasadam as much as the poor for different reasons. You know, the poor may need it to just exist, but that, that a, uh, a, rich person was also spiritually bereft and prasadam is spiritual food. Mm. So that's, that's one thing. And so he, he was, he was insistent that everyone get prasadam when they came to see him like that. So he would have uh, para. I don't know if you're familiar with, most of us are familiar with para. Um, in other words, you, it's, you also want to be smart about what prasadam. So he would be in his room. He's not going to use uh, hulab jamans, right? They're going to make a big mess. <laughs> right, but para is just like a little little Vrindavan para you get about this big, and it has you know some sugar usually around the outside, and it's easy to give somebody that prasad. So, and then we also, of course, we do prasadam distribution, um, this kind of food relief. It was called at one time, now it's called food for life, and we just want to be very careful to make sure that 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 is offered properly, so that the people are not just benefiting from that meal, but more importantly, or, or, or um, more long-lastingly benefiting by taking Krishna Prashad. And then we should be, uh, for those of us who want to be strict in our bhakti, we should be offering whatever before we eat, we, you know, taking a vow of only eating prasadam. <clears throat> Prabhupada had a lot of faith in the purifying effect and what he and for those who may not be familiar, what he's dealing with here is a uh, a saying that came up in India, I believe in the thirty. Well, I, I know early, you know, the first half of this uh, last century, um, that that poor that if you serve poor people, you're serving Dravidya Narayan. You know, the what does uh, Dravidya mean uh, literally? Dravidya means poor, very poor. poor. Okay, thank you. Very poor. So um, 
and making and and making them like Narayan. So you know, manava seva is manava seva. By serving the poor, you're serving God. And you could easily see how so many people in the world adopt that that consciousness. About Prabhupada would only say, Narayan seva is, is Narayan seva, vas. <laughs> but you can do Narayan seva by taking care of the poor, um, but not considering the poor Narayan. You can consider them part and parcel of Narayan. You consider them spirit souls that need Krishna's mercy. That's fine. But uh, don't consider them Narayan and don't consider it if you leave Krishna out of the picture and you're serving the poor, that that becomes Narayan Seva. But as part of Madhava Seva, you can do Manava Seva. Um, and, you know, that goes on to a whole discussion of what is the best kind of philanthropy. Um, and we don't have to, we don't, again, don't have to put down other philanthropic efforts per se. But ours, we have a, uh, what do they call it, USB, a unique selling point. <laughs> and that is to give people knowledge, to give people the opportunity to do devotional service, to engage them. Um, so again, you may see someone distributing prasadam kitri, you know, uh, or whatever food, you know, prasadam, and another person feeding the poor. And to the untrained eye, it may look like doing the exact same thing. But there's, there's, a, there's a difference in uh, consciousness, or there may be, yeah. So I think I told you that uh, I learned, you know, when we go to, when I would drive to Delhi, which I went very often to Delhi, and there was people begging on the corner at the stoplights. You may have saw that, um, uh, Andy, when you were there, maybe. Yeah, so I, you know, um, I didn't want to give them money because they might misuse it or give it to their, you know, pimp who charges them money for doing that, you know. Um, but so I just, I brought prasadam with me and gave them prasadam. And almost inevitably, you see them immediately pop it in their mouth and you go, <laughs> and yeah. feel good about that. I actually learned that from a devotee named Krishna Chandra Prabhu, who was a, a wealthy uh, industrialist in India. And I saw him do that one time. And so any thoughts on this point? So probably, well, probably explain yeah. everyone is related to the Supreme Lord, but one should not mistakenly think that because one is related to the, to the Supreme Personality of God, he has become the Supreme Personality of God in Narayan. Such a Mayavadi philosophy is extremely dangerous, especially for a devotee. That, that last sentence there, Andy, is kind of what we've been talking about. Okay, it's extremely dangerous, and then especially for one trying to be a devotee. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was therefore strictly forbidden us to associate with Mayavadi philosophers. Mayavadi basya sunite hai hoy sarvanas. If one associates with the Mayavadi philosophy, his devotional life is doomed. So, questions, comments? Yeah, one or two points. Um, can we take this verse as an expansion of the last verse? The last verse specifically directs one to distribute prasadam of the deity to the brahmanas and the vaishnavas. It doesn't say so in the verse, but it seems exclusive. But this verse expands the principle to distributing prasadam to everyone. Right. But I think the context is within the Shraddha ceremony. Is that? Ah. Yeah, because it says on verse number Makes four... Sense. If one arranges to feed many brahmanas or relatives during the Shraddha ceremony, 
and then goes on like that. Um, in terms of serving prasadam, of course, we should serve it to everyone. Yeah, I'm not sure who you should serve first. Usually, there usually it's um, seniority. I was thinking of on Vyasa Puja, Prabhupada once um, had the sannyasis first offer flowers, and then after that, uh, married couples, husband and wife, going together to offer flowers, and then uh, brahmacharis and unmarried people. Uh, like that. Uh, I, I don't know if that applies necessarily with prashadam, but in general, you know, when we're serving prashadam, um, respecting senior, senior devotees, then I always just make sure women with children um, get it, get it next because children aren't necessarily so great at waiting in lines and things like that. Of course, at the temple on a regular Sunday or something, we just, there's a line like that. <clears throat> Other thoughts on this? Okay, well, let's look at um, this chapter is I think rather long if I recall. Yeah, 50, 60, 70. Seven, there's there's 80 seven. Verses. Oh, there's 80 verses, right? 81, 80. Yeah, so I, I that will finish next week. Um, and give me a second. I have to check something. I think I'm on an airplane next week. Let me just check that real quickly. Your, your airplane doesn't have a wireless Zoom connection? <laughs> it might, but it probably it's sometimes it's catch as catch can. I wouldn't uh, count on it for this kind of thing. No, I was joking. They do. I, I've been on Zoom calls while I'm on the flight many times, but um, I don't think I would want to, uh, let's see, it leaves at, yeah, I think, I think we will have to cancel because it leaves at 120, but you know, you have to get there early and et cetera. So probably, and I have to drive there. So we'll skip next week and, um, and then carry on the week after that. That's okay. And we have on the third, well, coming up 13th or no, 14th is um, um, Ikadasi and uh, the day that Bhagavad Gita was spoken. And uh, that's, I guess that's the next kind of big holiday coming up. Right, like that. Okay, Prabhu's. Well, we'll end a couple of minutes early, no harm. And uh, thank you very much, Hare Krishna. Thank you, Prabhu. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to all the devotees.